You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. More nation states acquire and use cyber capabilities. North Korea's Silivaxine antivirus product appears to have pirated an old version of Trend Micro's scan engine. Despite warnings of credential stuffing, people still reuse passwords. Gravity Rat now takes its victims' temperature. Many firms remain unprepared for GDPR. Questions arise about possible over-preparation by two of the biggest companies out there. And some dimwit has hacked a highway sign in Arizona. Congratulations, knucklehead. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018. It's unsurprising, but worth noting, FireEye says more states are acquiring effective cyber capabilities and using them for espionage and other disruptive operations. Vietnam, in particular, is mentioned in dispatches. North Korea has had its own homegrown antivirus product, Silivaxine, for some time. Upon inspection, it seems less homegrown than thought. Researchers at Checkpoint obtained a sample sent to a journalist as apparent fishbait. They concluded that Silivaxine is built around a decade-old version of Trend Micro's scan engine, modified to ignore certain virus signatures, effectively whitelisting some DPRK attack tools. The sample was also bundled with malware from North Korean threat actor Jakku. The pirated AV product is associated with two concerns, Pyongyang Guangyong Information Technology and STS Tech Service. Trend Micro points out, correctly, that the pirated code in no way affects their current products' security or reliability. The producers of Silivaxine are thought to have obtained the old Trend Micro code from some third party. Why, one might ask, would one decide using a North Korean antivirus product was a good bargain? For one thing, if one were among the relatively small number of North Korean Internet users, one might have little choice. It's unlikely that the glorious self-reliant software kiosk at the ever-victorious mall carries ESET or Bitdefender or Silence or Trendmicro or Webroot or Kaspersky. If you're not one of the DPRK's residents, you might not realize it was a DPRK-associated product. STS Tech Service, for example, is an organization of unclear provenance, It's not to be confused, by the way, with STS Technical Services, an honest Wisconsin business that Glassdoor says is a pretty good place to work. 
Or you might be incautious enough to accept an emailed offer of free antivirus. A lot of reputable companies offer free versions of their products to individuals as loss leaders. Who's to say this one isn't okay? And finally, believe it or not, we've actually seen descriptions by apparently serious and not obviously insane people who've made the case online that North Korea might be a pretty good offshore option if you're looking for affordable coders. To which we can only say, just say no. Widespread concern about credential stuffing attacks has brought the problem of password reuse to the fore, but reuse continues unabated, according to a LastPass study. People reuse passwords because they're afraid they'll forget them. LastPass, of course, is in the business of selling password managers, so their results align with their business, but their point is a good one and well taken. The finding that personal passwords often get reused on business sites is particularly troubling. We're not sure this is much better than writing them down on a sticky note under your keyboard. In that case, at least, you know that your big threat is an evil-made attack. For the record, we don't recommend using sticky notes as password managers. But we do know it goes on. Piero de Paoli works with ServiceNow's security group. They recently teamed up with the Poneman Institute for a global cybersecurity study, surveying over 3,000 people around the world. Piero de Paoli joins us to share the results. Publicized data breaches are actually just the tip of the iceberg. You know, the beauty of getting to so many people in, in nine different countries around the world is um, we were able to re- really get a, a wide view of the market. And what we found was that 48% of organizations who responded to our survey had had a data breach in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the, the things we're hearing about in the, the news is really just the, the tip of the iceberg. So one of the things that this report focuses on is patching and uh, specifically the challenges when it comes to patching. Can you take us through some of the uh, information you gathered there? Yeah, and really we came up with really three big themes around patching. Um, The first is that uh, the teams are overwhelmed. Um, They're getting hit with so much data from so many different uh, security tools and uh, what we found is that 64% of the organizations who said that they, that they were looking at hiring more people to go and solve the problem. And um, on average, those organizations are spending about 320 hours a week on vulnerability patching. And they're looking to hire to get another 50% more capacity in that area. So if you have 320 hours a week is essentially eight full-time people, you know, looking at uh, adding, adding another four. The second was that uh, a lot of the things they found around those processes were uh, they were using a lot of the, a lot of manual process to do this work. And so while they're looking at adding more people, they may be adding them to processes that uh, um, are very manual in nature. And so this this may not actually help the problem, which is why we kind of call this the patching paradox. Adding more people may not actually help. And then the third is because of the big you know swath of people we were able to get to. We're able to cut that data by the the organizations who were breached and organizations that were not. What we found is that of the organizations that were not breached, they rated themselves as being 41% better at patching vulnerabilities than the the, the folks who who were breached. And so we found that really being good at patching is one of the things that uh, can can really help reduce an organization's uh, breach. And what did you discover in terms of feedback on, on why patching continues to be such a challenge for organizations? A few different things. Um, you know, as they're looking for more people, they're, they're struggling to hire. 
Uh, there's a great study from uh, ISACA that sh- shows that there'll be a, a 2 million gl- people global shortage of cybersecurity professionals by, by 2019. When we got into the, the data and understand a little bit on why it's so hard, in many cases, a security person is finding the vulnerabilities and it's somebody on the IT side in a parallel group that's actually doing the work for patching. And 73% of the respondents said that the security and IT teams don't have a common view of all applications and systems. And that 57% of them said that, that things were slipping through the cracks because they're using things like emails and spreadsheets to manage this whole process versus having a more robust system for doing so. Hmm. So in terms of uh, take-homes and recommendations, uh, what are you suggesting people do? First is that you know take an unbiased inventory of vulnerability response capabilities and uh, look for some areas. We've got a, this great survey that kind of goes into a bunch of data. Look for places that hit home. And um, you know, from there, you can move to number two, which is to start to tackle some of the low-hanging fruit, like uh, you know, being a little bit better at vulnerability scanning and prioritization. Uh, the third is I mentioned that you know, 73% of folks were not seeing a common view of applications and systems between security and IT. We want to like, break down those silos, make sure that those teams are able to actually access the same data, and that will solve a lot of problems. The fourth was um, you know, optimize the, the overall response process, document this thing end-to-end, and then look for places within that process to potentially automate. And then the, the fifth is that really by doing a lot of this stuff, you can, uh, you, if you're able to put things into a more, more easy-to-use process for employees, this may actually help retain the talent that organizations already have, and it can create a bit of a high-performance culture within a security team. And just given there's such a dearth of security talent, this will help not only maybe recruit new people to the organization, but um, maybe help retain folks because jobs elsewhere just won't look as exciting. That's Piero DePaoli. He's from ServiceNow. You can check out the results of their survey on their website. The Gravity Rat Trojan, which has troubled India for months, has, according to Cisco's Talos Research Group, become more evasive, using CPU temperature changes to detect virtual machines used for sandboxing. Its origins are unknown, but some think signs point to Pakistan. CERT India says that Gravity Rat has been used to stage targeted attacks. GDPR takes effect at the end of the month, and a CompTIA survey suggests that more than half of U.S. businesses are unprepared for the new European privacy and data protection law. Two companies that appear better prepared than most are Google and Facebook, but their preparations aren't much to the liking of either European regulators or the publishing industry. The regulators see the two big advertising and data collection giants as seeking ways of evading at least the spirit, if not the letter, of GDPR, especially with respect to Facebook's new approach to privacy. And publishing concerns like Condé Nast, Bloomberg, Hearst, and The Guardian complain that Google is effectively trying to offload its responsibility for obtaining consent to use personal data onto the publishers, while Google itself refuses transparency in its own use of data obtained through the publisher's use of Google services. This, the publishers complain, increases both their burden and their liability. And we'll finish with the pointless crime news of the day, Some loser in Arizona hacked a highway sign to display the words, Hail Hitler. We assume he meant Heil. And we'll leave it as an exercise to speculate about why people do such things. Talk amongst yourselves. Keep your eyes on the road. Because distracted driving 
is always dangerous. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, You all have been seeing an uptick in credential harvesting activity. What can you share about that? Dave, we we work these complicated cases that involve thousands of machines. It's fascinating that some of the most simple attacks are still being perpetrated in the world. And the one that we're seeing the most of is called credential harvesting. Mm. And the way it works is an adversary profiles an individual within a company. And sometimes this individual is the CFO. It's someone that perhaps does accounts payable. And I might add, it's very easy to identify these people in organizations with tools like LinkedIn. Uh, You go in, you type in the company name, AP, accounts payable, CFO, boom, there they are. And then there's a little bit of open source intelligence to find their email address. You find their email address and you send them a carefully crafted email that they are going to want to click on. Sometimes it is an association. Sometimes it looks like it's from the personal email address of something they know. And it says, click here for a document or click here to find something out. So it tricks them into clicking that link, a link that looks very valid and it brings up a login page. Now, if you're doing it to a Gmail user, you'll make it look like a Gmail login. If you're doing it to a corporate user, if you do a little bit of investigation, you can find out probably they have an Office 365 exchange, in which case you would make the uh, the login page look like a Microsoft Office 365 login page tailored right for that company. And many times, the adversary will be able to figure out what that looks like because they'll type OWA.com 
companyname.com or they'll mm. type email.companyname.com. And usually what will happen is there's your Outlook web access page. Right. And it tricks people into going to this page and they t- change, usually they change one or two letters. If it's an L, they put a one. If it's an I, they'll put an L, things like that. When the user goes to there, they will type in their valid credentials because they think that there's been a problem with the system and they need to re-authenticate. Mm. And then there's a blank page after that. By that time, the cyber criminal has collected their username and password, maybe even takes that uh, fake website down, and then they can log in as that user. The next stage of the attack is usually a little bit more custom. We're seeing various uh, abuses of their username and password. Sometimes it is stealing all of their email for blackmail. Sometimes it is rerouting all of their emails to some somewhere else. Sometimes it's even masquerading as that person and sending an instruction, like the CFO instructing someone from accounts payable to pay a bill to this account number or or even looking for new invoices that are coming in getting the invoice, changing the account routing number to a foreign bank and submitting it uh, via email to accounts payable. Hmm. You might then think, well, doesn't the other person receiving that email know that the submitter is being impersonated? And and oftentimes they don't know. In these larger companies, you might be in a completely different country than the submitter, but the request still looks legitimate. And to cover their tracks even further, an adversary will actually set up complicated or, or complex outlook rules. If the accounts payable person does have a question, it gets routed to a hidden folder, which then the adversary can say, no, this is real, please submit for sure ASAP and, the, and defraud these companies of funds. Hmm. So it strikes me that the bad guys do this because it works. Uh, what are your recommendations for people to protect themselves from this? I believe most of the entrance of cybercrime into threats, it really revolves around the people. The stock answers I always give are better user awareness, better training of the users, better simulations. I just love those companies out there that are doing phishing simulations and they're almost gamifying it. How many months can you go without clicking on a on a phishing attack? So that's number one. It always starts with user education and awareness. The second thing would be two-factor authentication, Dave. I Mm. can't stress this enough. I am still encountering large-scale institutions that do not have two-factor enabled, and it is so critical, at least for your email, at least for your VPN, at least for your virtual desktop, that you enable two-factor. Now, I know that two-factor may not be the easiest thing to implement, meaning that there are dependencies and there's software you need to do and there's rollouts. But if I were a listener out there today and hearing this and I didn't have two-factor and I had responsibility for this, that would be the next thing I would do. Pick up the phone and get a two-factor solution for your critical services to begin with and then try to proliferate it as necessary. Good advice as always. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, 
Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 